Hello, everyone, and happy Easter. Thank you for joining me today for a very special Resurrection Sunday edition of our study through the Gospel of John. Our Lord and Savior is alive. The empty tomb confirmed the fact and and sealed the promise that's a cornerstone of our faith, the promise of eternal life. The life, the death, and the life again of our Savior is not only our our greatest source of hope, it's also a demonstration of, of the amazing love that our Heavenly Father has for His children. Before we go any further, let me pray. Good and gracious God, thank you for this day. Thank you for the miracle of the resurrection and for the difference that it has made in our lives. Let your Holy Spirit fill our hearts with the joy of the promise of spending eternity in your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. If you were uh, with me last week, you know that I am overjoyed at the way that things have worked out. A couple of weeks ago, as I was planning out my, my message series, I discovered that, that the verse for today was going to be John 3.16. And, and I was literally moved <laughs> to tears. Uh, it's like, thank you, Lord. What better verse for Resurrection Sunday than what is probably the, the most well-known and, and beloved verse in all of Scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but will have eternal life. That's the gospel message in a nutshell. The New Testament summed up in in just 24 words. A form that is so concise and, and eloquent that even if a person only knew that one verse, it would be enough to guide them to salvation. Isn't, isn't that amazing? <laughs> Popularity, though, it, it, it can have its downfalls. One of the problems with, with popularity and familiarity is that it can sometimes cause us to overlook the profound. Do you all remember uh, the rainbow guy from back in the, the 70s? For those of you who may not be familiar with this guy, uh, his name was Roland Stewart. And, and after he became a, a born-again Christian, he felt the, the over, overwhelming need to get the message out. So he uh, started attending sporting events, everything from the NBA finals to auto racing events. And he would show up at these events with this huge rainbow wig. And he would hold up a sign that said John 3.16. For the vast majority of the people who, who saw the rainbow guy holding up his sign, it, it was really no more than a, a humorous distraction between uh, the camera cuts of, of the action on the field. Now, it's nice to think that, that maybe somewhere somebody saw that, that sign and, and was moved to, to look the verse up in the Bible and, and come to salvation. But I don't think the, the reality is quite as satisfying as that. M- more than likely, uh, for most people, uh, John 3.16 remained 
nothing more than the, the catchphrase of this wannabe celebrity who was uh, just looking for some airtime on national television. And that's a shame, because John 3.16 is an exceptionally profound statement about God and, and Jesus and, and their relationship to the world. Let's begin with the first major revelation that's contained in this verse. God. This is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Moses. The, the God who created the universe and everything in it. The God whose power is unlimited and uncontainable, whose wisdom is unfathomable, whose knowledge is inscrutable, and whose judgment is unsearchable. The God who is in the details of everything. Listen to this from Isaiah 40. Lift your eyes on high and see. Who created these? He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Think about that the next time you go outside and look up at the stars. God not only knows where, where each and every one of them are, he knows them all by name. To put that into perspective, astronomers estimate that the number of stars in the universe can, can be represented by a number. That number is 10 to the 23rd power. That is a 1 followed by 24 zeros. And out of all of those, only a couple hundred of them have been given names by, by earthly observers. Only a couple hundred. Yet God knows the name of every single one of them. This sovereign God loved the world. And, and that should blow our minds right there. How could a perfect and, and holy God love this evil, sinful, and fallen world? A world that had turned their back on him and, and refused to acknowledge him as Lord. A world that made sacrifices to idols that they had made with their own hands instead of offering their loyalty and obedience to the one who had made them. A world that did whatever they thought was right instead of seeking the will of their Heavenly Father. And we can't make any mistake about this. There was nothing about mankind that attracted God's love. Nothing that made him love us. No, it was his sovereign will to love us. His, his love flowed out from his kindness. And, and it's remarkable, as the Apostle Paul points out in Romans 5, that God showed his love for us while we were still sinners. Thank him for that. Can you imagine if, if God had waited until we got our act together before he sent Jesus? We would still be stuck in our sin with no hope and no Savior. But God, he not only chose to love us, he chose to do something about it. He takes action. For years, uh, when I would read John 3.16, I would take that word so, as in uh, 
so loved the world. I took that to mean so much. And it wasn't until I was in my 40s that I had it, that I had it explained to me that the so was not meant as an, an intensifier, but as an indicator of method. See, in the original Greek, uh, this passage reads, in this way God showed the world. And to me, this is a critical distinction because it highlights a very important aspect of love. And that is that love is a verb. It's an action word. God loved the world and he did something about it. He gave us a gift. The word translated as gift means exactly that. It, to give, to bestow, or to present. There are no strings attached and no purchase necessary. We didn't have to buy anything or, or trade favors or sign any paperwork. The creator of the universe decided of his own sovereign will to give us a gift. Because he loved us. And, and what a marvelous gift it was. Out of, out of everything that, that he could have given us, and, and that's quite literally anything in the universe, out of everything he could have given us, he chose the most precious thing that he had to give. His one and only son. That's hard to take in. Uh, for those of us who are parents, it, it's simply unthinkable. I, I just don't get it, and, and honestly, I, I probably never will. I can't imagine any circumstance where, where I would willingly put my children in harm's way. And yet that is exactly what God did. As part of his great plan for our salvation, God sends Jesus to earth. Not even the Apostle Paul, a, a man who seemingly always has the right words for, for everything, even Paul didn't, didn't try to explain the incomprehensible generosity of God's gift. In 2 Corinthians 9, he, he simply calls it indescribable. Indescribable indeed. <laughs> you see, despite our utter depravity, God still wanted to bring us home. Ever since our, our rather abrupt departure from the Garden of Eden, God had, had been working towards reconciliation with his people. He gave them great leaders, uh, judges and kings, priests and prophets, all with the intention of, of bringing the hearts of the people back to himself. And, you know, things would go okay for a while, but before too long, the people would go right back to doing what they thought was right instead of following God's instructions. And God finally gets tired of this endless cycle of sin and, and sacrificial atonement. And he, he comes to the point where he tells them that he doesn't even want their sacrifices anymore. He looks into the hearts of people and he realizes that there, there aren't enough sacrificial animals in the world to atone for the mountain of sin that mankind had accrued. So, in his infinite wisdom, 
our God devised a plan that, that would take care of the sin problem once and for all. A perfect sacrifice had to be made, one that would cover the sins of the world, past, present, and future. Jesus Christ, God's only Son, came and and lived among the people that he, that he would one day save. As he walked the earth, uh, teaching and, and preaching, heal, healing and, and performing miracles, every step that he took brought him one step closer to the cross. Only the blood of Jesus could, could cleanse the sins of man and, and make it possible for us to stand in the presence of a holy God. The gracious gift of, of salvation Although it's, it's free and available to everyone, it does require something from us. Belief in Jesus Christ as, as Lord and Savior. The broad and, and inclusive nature of the word whoever, that, that means that, that even the most vile sinner can be redeemed if he believes in Jesus. Over the past few weeks, you've heard me talk about consciousness and conviction and and how they apply to the idea of true belief. In order for a person to to move from uh, the state of believing things about Jesus to a point where they believe in Jesus, two things have, have got to occur. One, that person has to be conscious of their need for forgiveness. They have to be conscious that they are a sinner. They have to know without a doubt that that they are sinful and in need of spiritual cleansing. There's no room for any kind of, I'm I'm not really all that bad. There's no room for that kind of attitude at the foot of the cross. Secondly, and and most importantly, there, there has to be the absolute conviction that Jesus is the one and only person that can heal them. As Jesus said in, in John 14, 6, He is the way, He is the truth, and He is the life, and, and no one comes to the Father unless they come through Jesus. When I think about the, the gift, and I picture a, a funnel. <laughs> the, the, the invitation is wide and, and it's inclusive, like the, the wide part of a funnel. But when, when we get down to that part where we have to make that conscious and convicted decision, it narrows. It, it narrows to such a degree that no one is going to pass through if they haven't accepted Jesus for what he truly is. The one and only Son of God, their Lord and their Savior. But, for those who, who come to Jesus on, on his terms, in addition to, to being forgiven and, and justified before God, there awaits a, a marvelous promise. They will not perish, but they will be granted eternal life. To perish, as it's used here, it means to die in one's sin. It's the same uh, concept that Jesus refers to in John 8 when he said, 
I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that, that I am he, you will die in your sins. Dying in one's sin, it leads to condemnation. It, it, it means facing God's righteous judgment in an unredeemed state. It means, and quite frankly, it means going to hell and, and being eternally separated from the Father. The alternative to that scenario is what today is all about. You may have heard it said before that, that Good Friday is about the cross and Easter Sunday is about the empty tomb. The empty tomb was proof that Jesus had power over death and, and it sealed the promise that concludes John 3.16. The belief in Jesus leads to eternal life. An eternal life that, that's going to be spent in the presence of God, Jesus, the, the Holy Spirit, and and all of the brothers and sisters who went to glory believing in Christ. What a, what a glorious promise. I, and, and I hope that it's one that, that we are all holding on to with confidence. Having a hope for the future, especially a, a living hope like, like we have in Jesus, it's a tremendous comfort. At this time last year, Uncertainty and confusion were the modes of the day. Normal life had, had come to a halt so, so quickly uh, that our, our heads were just kind of spinning around in, in disbelief. The entire world found itself in, in the grip of the unknown and, and changes were felt around the globe. I vividly Remember uh, the the feeling of loss and, and disappointment over the over the timing of it all. Why couldn't this this virus? Why couldn't it have have just waited until after Easter? It, you know, we had a, a special choir number prepared that that was never performed. Roger had a, a special Easter message that that went unspoken. Family gatherings were canceled and. And, and most of us experienced an Easter Sunday that was unlike any that we had ever experienced before. But we had hope. And we continued to hope. And well, here we are today. Things are not exactly where we had hoped they might be. But here we are. We're together and Jesus Christ has risen. Amen? At the beginning of this message, I, I mentioned that the empty tomb was a demonstration of the great love that God has for his children. A great love that moved him to action, to send his one and only son to save us from our sin. The love of God is what makes it possible for us to love. In John 4.19, that fact is confirmed with the following statement. We love because he first loved us. Wow. We love because he first loved us. The gifts of God are, are truly manifold. For the Christian, 
Love is not an, an optional accessory. It is the single identifying character trait. Listen to the words of Jesus from John 13. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. I want us to pay very careful attention here. Notice that Jesus doesn't say that the world will, will know we are Christians because we all this, wear the same color shirt or because we all have the same haircut or sing the same songs or, or even that we all go to church at the same time. Jesus, he, he wants the world to know that, that we belong to him, but he wants that knowledge to be based on our spiritual condition. The love that he has for us is meant to flow outward through us and into the world. The love of God is a love that does something. It is a love that participates, uh, sacrifices, and, and brings about changes. It is the fundamental component of effective ministry and effective living. Remember earlier, we, we, we talked about how God loved the world in this way. We are called to, to show our love in a similar fashion, with action. Now, what better source of, of examples of, of love and action than our Lord Jesus himself? Now, I have to be fair here. Uh, some of Jesus' examples are, are probably way above our pay grade. You know, things like raising the dead and restoring sight to the blind. But there are some practical things that, that any of us should be able to do. Jesus was moved by love to feed the hungry. Now, we are almost certainly not going to be able to feed 5,000 people with a, a couple of loaves and a few fishes, but we can do something, right? There are food pantries and, and kitchens all over the valley that can use help and, and donations. As a matter of fact, we have a pantry right here at, at Blossom Valley Bible Church that, that can always use a little fattening up. If you were, if you were with us last week, you heard Linda Rosenberry's idea of, of carrying McDonald's gift cards. You carry them around with you and you, you hand them out to someone that could use a meal. And let's not forget about spiritual nourishment. Jesus fed the, the spiritual hungry with his astonishing teachings about the kingdom of God. Now, unless you're so moved, uh, I'm not suggesting that you, you know, find a box and set it up on the corner and start preaching the gospel. But what you could do is, is carry a stack of those daily bread devotional books around with you. Carry them around in the car. And, and when you hand out a McDonald's gift card to someone, uh, include one of those little booklets. You know, you, you feed the body and you also feed the soul. You never know what effect the Word of God is going to have on the life of another person. Another thing that, that Jesus did from love was, was he preached the kingdom. And through the church, he, he is still doing exactly that. This is from Mark 6. When he went ashore, he, he saw a great crowd 
And he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And, and he began to teach them many things. As believers, we have been given the task to share the gospel, to share the gospel with a world that is full of sheep that are looking for a shepherd. We can show our love for our brothers and sisters by, by telling them about our Lord and Savior. Everything that, that we receive from God, it's not meant to, to stop at us. Pray for opportunities for, for God's love to flow through you into the life of someone else. As I mentioned earlier, we can never know for certain what effect our words when we're preaching the gospel. We never know what effect those words are going to have in the life of someone else. Jesus was moved by love uh, for his friends and for the church. And, and as a result of that, he prayed for them. This is from John 17. I do not ask for these only. The, 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 these that he's referring to are the disciples, okay? I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I know that, that Blossom Valley Bible Church is, is a praying church, but I just, I just want to encourage you to continue on that path. As it says in the book of James, the prayers of the righteous person have great power. And as, as someone who has benefited from that power, I say, keep up the good work. In John 15, 13, our Lord said this, that greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. The Father's love was evident in all of Jesus' interactions with people, and no more so than when he willingly went to his death on Calvary's cross. Now, Lord willing, uh, none of us will be called to lay to lay our life down permanently, but, but we have been called to, to put our lives aside temporarily. As Paul wrote in his letter to the Philippians, we are to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but, but in humility we are to count others as being more significant than ourselves. Following Christ's example means that, that we look beyond ourselves and we always consider the needs of others. We put love into action when we are compassionate, when we are empathetic, when we serve one another, when we are the, the first one to say, I'm sorry, and the last one to say, I told you so. We put love into action when, in all humility, we pray to God and we say, not my will, but yours. Our Lord Jesus, by his own declaration, came to earth to do the will of the one who had sent him, to show the world what the heart of God really looked like, to give us a glimpse 
of the divine love that, that motivated everything that he said and did, and, and to pass that motivation onto us. The love of God is not a static force. It's dynamic. It's transformative. It's life itself. It compels us to action and gives us power to accomplish those actions through the help of the Holy Spirit. It is said that, that the empty tomb is best seen from the hill of the cross. The crucifixion and the resurrection are inextricably linked, both logically and theologically. In the span of of three days, our Lord Jesus defeated death twice. When he died on the cross, he, he conquered sin, and in doing so, he conquered its consequence, which is death. In Romans 6, it reads, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. An eternal life that is symbolized by the empty tomb. An empty tomb that sealed a promise almost too good to be true. Jesus is risen and alive and waiting for us to join him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. If not for an act of great love, there would be no Jesus. There would be no cross. There would be no empty tomb. And there would be no hope. Well, in closing, I think the Apostle Peter said it best. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Let's pray. Great and merciful God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for the most incredible demonstration of mercy and grace that the world will ever know. That you chose to love us is beyond understanding. That you chose to save us is simply amazing. Lord, guide our steps and protect us from the evils of this world. Let us walk in the light of your truth, a a truth that will shine in the darkness and give you glory. In the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen. As always, may the Lord continue to bless you and keep you and and be gracious unto each and every one of you. May he turn his face and make it shine upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I love you all. I hope that you are having a beautiful resurrection day. Have a great week. Stay safe, stay healthy, stay joyful. Bye. I'm glad you're here to help celebrate the communion service that we have at Blossom Valley. I'm very grateful that we do take time in our worship service to select this particular time. It's an intimate time. It's very special. 
And sometimes in our, when we go through life, we need to have something within ourselves that helps us to be, have a connection with God. And the times we live in, we need more and more of that every day. So I kind of went across this verse, Psalm 63, that kind of reflected how what I felt when I was going through some real heavy trials and to know that God really cares. Written by King David, he says, The Psalm of David, when he was in a desert, in a cave, being chased by King Saul, he comes to the Lord and says, You, God, are my God. I earnestly seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as if with the richest foods. With singing on my lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I will remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I could sing in the shadow of your wings. One of my best parts. And I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. I especially like that last verse. Sometimes in life, when things all around you turn south and you wake up each morning feeling as if someone had punched you in the stomach and you wince at the thought of getting through another day, then that is a time to cling to God. You recall the story of Mary seeing Jesus for the first time after the crucifixion. And Mary was beside herself and just held on to Jesus. And Jesus said, stop clinging to me. <laughs> what a sight. I mean, I think we would all do the same thing. I don't think she expresses anything particularly more than what we would do too. But anyways, holding on to God, earnestly seeking him, and finding his words to you from what he wrote in the scriptures. Thirst for God. Now, before we pray and take part in our communion service today, let's reflect on the words of this song written by Charles Stanley some time ago. And once I say this, you're going to know what it is. But still, just put up with me when I read these songs because they mean a lot to me. And I'm sure they mean a lot to you as well. So, and can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me, who caused his pain? For me, who him to death pursued? Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? Wow. Kind of hard to read. Three times Wesley mentions for me, followed by a question mark. We never sing that song with that, but Wesley was trying to, to reflect a question back to God on this, as if realizing for the very first time the depth of his amazing love for us. For if God knows the number of hairs on your head, he knows the way, the ways you choose. He knows your thoughts even before you think them. He even knows the motives of your heart, so you can't fool God. And despite your many flaws, this is the best part. He still loves you. God is certainly amazing. So let's, 
With these words fresh in mind, we're going to take a minute or two to consider to consider Jesus who both made you and redeemed you with his blood. And then we'll follow with sharing communion. I have here just a <clears throat> representation. It's unleavened bread, it's a cracker, whatever. But it's important to know that it represents the blood of Jesus, the body of Jesus, who is broken for us. Let's take this together and remember him. In this cup of juice, wine, whatever it is that you're using, um, Let's share this together too. Remember, this is the represents the blood of Christ. <clears throat> the very fact it was the price that He paid for you and for me. It was the it was the cost of being freed. So let's take it together. Dear Lord, you died as a ransom for many, but as the song reflects, Lord, you died for me only. And those people who are listening. You died for them only. Thank you for loving us that much. And we're just going to leave our lives in your hands. We do love you, Lord. We entrust our souls to our creator, to our creator who is able to do that what he said. Thank you again in Jesus name. Amen. my dog